this is Robert Wagner, and you're listening to Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. And these guys are great. This is Gilbert Godfrey, and this is Gilbert Godfrey's Amazing Colossal Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre, and our engineer, Frank Verderosa. Our guest this week is a comedy writer, stand-up comedian, podcast host, documentary filmmaker, occasional actor, and a founding member of the pop culture sensation known as... Mystery Science Theater 3000. He's written popular TV shows such as Talk Soup, later with Greg Kinnear, America's Funniest Home Videos, and Freaks and Geeks. But our obsessive listeners would most likely know him as the original voice of the puppets Tom Servo and Gypsy. And... You bet. And as mad scientist Dr. Lawrence Earhart on the beloved series MST 3000. In 2008, he reunited with his MST co-stars, including our former podcast guest, Frank Connick, for Cinematic Titanic and which toured the country as a live show and produced 12 DVDs now available as a box set. He's also the director of two recent documentaries, I Need You to Kill and Michael Daybar, Who Do You Want Me to Be? His very funny podcast, Thought Spiral, which co-hosts with comedian Andy Kindler, is available everywhere. And we're going to have a drag-out fight over his review of the movie The Swimmer. <laughs> Uh-oh. Please welcome to the show an artist of numerous talents, and a man who had his name changed so that his initials would spell out the word Jew. <laughs> the pride of St. Louis Park, Minnesota, J. Elvis Weinstein. Wow. Wow. I'm, I'm, I found myself just grinning here in Gilbert. Just describe my career to me. <laughs> it's a little like an obit. It was kind of that. It was a it was a dual glee of wow, someone did research, and wow, Gilbert Gottfried is reading my career aloud. Yeah. Oh, the only part I left out found dead in his. Right. <laughs> and you know, the only 
The only part you left out was, and I've never heard of him in my life. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Basically like any priest or rabbi at a funeral. He was a wonderful man. Well, he was an MST watcher. He knows Tom Servo. He knows he knows Gypsy. He knows Dr. Earhart. So what we we talked about that immediately when when uh, when we booked you. But what really impressed him was the JEW. Well, that's good. Whatever it takes to get in. <laughs> <laughs> Are you jealous, Gilbert, that he figured out a way to spell out you? I know. As, <laughs> as if Weinstein didn't tell the tale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that could be anything. <laughs> Which you did what in part uh, when you joined the WGA, but you did it in part to avoid was, confusion with another writer. Yeah, well, you, I, I, I was I went as Josh Weinstein in life, and still basically do. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the Josh Weinstein who ended up uh, being one of the showrunners on The Simpsons and uh, doing lots of great stuff beat me by about a year into the guild as Josh Weinstein. So when I was told I had to change my name, I was a young man. I felt like a bit of a smart ass <laughs> i thought i'd thrown in ass. <laughs> we, it was more it was more costello than presley based I gotcha gotcha we gilbert gets very excited as i say all the time when when we have a jewish guest josh <laughs> good yeah it's, and, hard, it's, it's hard in showbiz to find it, that yeah yeah it's so rare in this business to find a jew <laughs> he, he but a jew from minnesota it's it's a rarer breed <laughs> are you from the same neck of the woods as the cohen brothers same suburb, same, same spot, suburb. Yeah, Al yeah. Franken too, and Thomas Friedman. Lots of Jews. A little Jew pod, yeah. <laughs> Jews are plenty. Yes. Which which sounds like a science fiction film in itself. <laughs> the little Jew pod. <laughs> now, before I jump, I, I'm going to jump into. Uh, I told Josh over email that we'd go all over the place, and he prefers our schizophrenic uh, schizophrenic approach. But. Uh, before we talk about his fun podcast and some of the movies that he's talked about, which we've talked yes. about on this show, he also watched your documentary. Yes, I did, of course. And he was telling us before we turned the mics off that the part that may have impressed him the most was your... <laughs> Tell us, Josh. <laughs> my favorite my favorite moment was, uh, and the one I guess I related to the most directly, was when you show up to the uh, children's cancer benefit and he's explaining to you and you see your face both while he's telling you and right after where it looks as if you've been diagnosed with a deep stage cancer yourself having to perform there that night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought, I thought for sure, this is going to be the the day that ruins my career f- for sure. This is the final man. There've been so many. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought this has to be it. Yeah. As a comic, there are those times where you go, I'm in the wrong place right now. (laughs) (laughs) I think my favorite, I have many favorite moments, but you, you trying to explain to that toddler who Fritz Feld was. Oh yes. Maybe one of them. (laughs) (laughs) This is the kind of shit we talk about on this show. That's good. Josh. I think I was trying to explain to the toddler who John MacGyver Were you? Was. Yeah. Yes. Do you know John? Well, it was. It was John MacGyver. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, so but, this, the but, there, but there's a Fritz Feld thing, right? That rolls uh, over yes. the closing credits. Yeah, in the closing credits. I got it I wrong. I talk about Fritz Feld. Right. I got it wrong. See, so I like to appeal to the kids. <laughs> yep. The other thing I have to, uh, just because I'm here talking to you, the other thing I've had in my head for 30 years is, hi, Gavin. Hi, Tony. Oh, yes. (laughs) And I cannot hear either name without saying the other name in that voice. (laughs) Do do a little bit to bring people's memories back. Uh, Yeah. Tony Curtis talking to Gavin McLeod. Hi, Gavin. 
Hi, Tony. How are you? I'm fine. Want some coffee? Okay. I think I'll have a donut. So you will have... Uh, I will have a donut too. So you will have two donuts? No, I will have a donut same as yourself. So you will have a donut that resembles me? No, I meant although we are both eating two entirely different donuts. The very fact that they are both donuts puts them in the same food group. You mean like an apple and an orange are both in the fruit? Are you still doing this bit? Yes. Okay, so it's 40, it's 40 years out of date, uh, but fuck it. We're, I am crying like the first time. <laughs> it's one of the bits that made me fall in love with him. That and Ted Bessel in the George Jessel story. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but let, let's talk about the, the, I'm trying to do some uh, some things where our podcasts uh, uh what is the word I'm looking for? Bisect? Oh yeah. Oh, I felt a great kinship for you, Frank. Yes, is is <laughs> the is this discussion of Skadoo that I heard you and Kindler. Uh, uh yeah. <laughs> you're covering it. You guys you guys seem as obsessed with it as we are. We had yeah. Austin Pendleton here a couple it, of weeks ago. It, it was like Hollywood showing how totally unhip they are. It was amazing. It was just it was just jaw dropping throughout. And and you, you could feel Otto Preminger's just like this, this, the scraping of his claw of relevance. You know, you could just feel, see his talon marks as it slipped off the side of relevance. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you were talking about how, and I didn't know this, that you, you said that he dropped acid with Timothy Leary. And that yes. was sort of what got this thing rolling. And, and then with Groucho and Jackie Gleason, apparently. Yeah, that's, dis this, that's disputed. I hope it's true. Oh, my. I hope it, to God it's true. God, I hope to God uh, uh, there's a film clip of that. that pops Dude, up. that's a good tab of acid. Ooh. <laughs> I, I'm having a really bad trip right now. <laughs> I'm having a great trip, Groucho. <laughs> he went with old Groucho. That's what I like. <laughs> we, we had Austin here. And uh, Austin Pendleton. We've actually had two of the three survivors yeah. of that cast. I think the only three people living are Michael Constantine right. from Room 222 or my best, my uh, my Fat Greek Wedding, if you now, want to work a contemporary is, reference. Is John Philip lost? I think he's gone. Oh, he's, I think yeah. it's down to Austin Frankie Avalon, who we had. Yeah. And, of course, Gilbert asked him about Cesar Romero, who's in the movie. Yes. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and Austin. Yeah. yeah, and somebody wrote me and said everything Austin Pendleton's done in his career, and you guys do t start the show with twenty minutes on Skidoo. <laughs> I need I need you to do another five just to tell me what he said. I'll go back and listen. But he, <laughs> he loved it. He loved Otto. I mean, Premier had this reputation as being very difficult. He yeah. and, and he thought Groucho was funny every minute of the day, which was really? nice to hear. I mean, he was only up for about four of them. I yeah. Imagine, exactly. <laughs> I love you described it as a gangster comedy, uh, a gangster comedy acid movie, which I kind of like. I think that's I think that sums it up. Yeah, it's as bad a movie with an all star cast as you will find. And and I heard that John Philip Law was originally offered the part of Joe Buck in Midnight Cowboy. Really? But he figured, hey, uh, a movie with uh, 
uh, directed <laughs> by Otto Preminger. How could I go wrong? And yeah, a comedy co-starring <laughs> Groucho. I, and I get to see Carol Channing in a bra. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love when Kindler says to you on the podcast, well, did you want to see Carol Channing half naked? And you you go, well, yeah, kind of. Yeah. I didn't know it until the time, but yeah, I did. It turned out. Yeah. There, there are, there are some all-star bombs. There's a movie called Wonton Tom, the dog that saved Hollywood. Oh, I, I think oh, one okay. of our Heard guests of it, was Bruce in Stern, that. Bruce Stern, Bruce Stern, who we had here was on it. But, and there's another movie called The Finks, which I urge you to find. Okay. P-H-Y-N-X. Scary. Oh. It's scary who's in it, but it's it's like this. It's like an all-star cast, every name you can imagine from that period. It, and it's, it's worse than this. It's worse than Skidoo. It, it's like a bad acid trip of the monkeys. Like, wow. imagine an episode of the monkeys stretched to two hours. Well, isn't that but, head? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Only good this answer. has an all-star cast of, like, Leo Gorsi, Hunts Hall, Johnny Weissmuller, Pat O'Brien. Wow, everybody. And they all look like they died 10 George years Raft ago. George Raft in there? Yes. Yeah, yeah. They and they're all talking like this, see? Pretty much. <laughs> if you said that all of them were dug out of their graves and propped up for them, I would have said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> that well, was before, that's before Hollywood learned to uh, put all their big dying stars onto crashing planes and, and flipping uh, cruise ships and stuff. Yeah, I mean, those Irwin Allen movies are high art compared to this stuff. Oh, my God. I mean, something like Airport 75. But see, in the Irwin Allen, those old stars seemed like they were still alive. (laughs) Right. Here, here, I don't think any of them know their own names. Yeah, it's like Bella and Plan 9. Exactly. <laughs> so one of the things you and Andy do, and we'll plug the podcast again. It's fun. Thought spiral. What what was the conceit? Was it there's just the two of you in a room, and and obviously you don't plan it, you don't prep much. There's a little bit uh, of structure to it, but not much. Yeah, it, there's not much. Uh, the real honest conceit is Andy moved four blocks from me. <laughs> and I went, well, we, that would be a waste to <laughs> not do something. <laughs> so that was the real core inspiration, right? And but, then. It was also Andy had just started uh, therapy, and he calls himself the oldest Jew to ever start therapy because uh, he was well, after his sixties. And you'd think Andy Kindler is a lifer, but it was, it was yeah, I it was all new to him. So <laughs> he was uh, he was filled with uh, epiphanies about himself. So and uh, and what a, one of the part one of the, my favorite parts of the show is you guys do a, a what do you call it a ho- homework assignment. Homework, yeah, on a, on a, on a movie, and it could be a classic movie like The Conversation, something good. Or right. the last picture show, or it could be some dreck like Skidoo. Right. It's filling in our gaps, our little gaps in our uh, cultural knowledge that, you know, movies that we barely remember or we've never seen or the kind of movie you'd say you saw but didn't. Yeah. You know. We were doing that for a while here. We were doing a Thursday, a small, uh, shorter Thursday episode where we would each come up with a movie and talk about it. And Gilbert ran out of movies in about week 20. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're having a little, we're going a little dry. It, but it not, shows. I, it shows the amount of work I put in because at yeah. one point, uh, Frank <laughs> called me and and he said, uh, yeah, do you have any movies for this week to talk about? And I said, no, can't think of any. And he said, uh, what, what are you watching? I hear the TV. 
And I said, oh, it's it's a good movie. It's uh, Earth versus the Flying Saucers. Uh, the special effects were by Ray Harryhausen. It came out in the 50s. And he goes, uh, well, how about that one? <laughs> <laughs> you had some good choices. Two yeah. of your choices, in fact, were covered by Josh, which are The Swimmer, yes. which we talked about in the intro, which he... You weren't wild about it. You admired some things about it, but you thought it was a, it was I, a I, stretch forced from the book or from the short story. Yeah, I did. I felt like it was, uh, I, I liked that they took a big swing. I certainly admired Lancaster for taking that part. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it didn't, it didn't uh, hold together for me. Oh, it started, I, it started, it started beating me with art film ideas as we went. <laughs> See, to me, I I I presented that on uh, Turner Classic Movies with Bob Osborne. Because I like that movie. I mean, it just, that grabs me each time. How do you feel about the Hamler score? I I love that. See? Marvin Hamler. Yeah, no, I didn't buy it at all. <laughs> oh, <laughs> God. God, I don't no. want to talk to you, you fucking Jew. <laughs> you insolent Jew. That was the, that was wasn't that the other one you were talking about? Which one? Is, uh, the boys from Brazil. The boys from you Brazil were, oh, was another yes. one he loves and recommended. You insolent Jew. He does. Yes. He does yes. James Mason. <laughs> we have to pull the plug on the operation. We are not pulling the plug on the operation. The operation yes. will proceed. Yes, Mangler, you're a madman. Yes, your plan has been canceled. Absolute. My plan has not been canceled. <laughs> My plan is never will never be canceled. You're canceled. There's some there's some serious overacting in that one. We're bringing in the prop guys to take back their fake scientific machines. And then uh, at one point, he uh, Gregory Peck as Mangala runs into the little boy and goes, "Hello, Bobby." <laughs> <laughs> You and, oh oh and when he says to Uta Hagen, who's like the locked up Uta asylum, Hagen in there? Yes. Yes. Wow. yes, yes, in an asylum. She's the locked up prison guard. Yeah. Uh, and he says, I oh Olivier says, I may leave here empty handed, but you are not going anywhere. <laughs> Scary good Gil. Let's see. Oh, and and, and Mira. And Mira's in the boys yes. from Brazil. I have to see it yes. again. I Steve seen it Gutenberg years. as well, up top. Who? Steve Gutenberg. Steve Gutenberg. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And what's the name? I want to get that kid on this podcast. He never worked. I looked it up. He never worked again. That was the only. He was a producer's son, and he never worked again. Wow. Yeah. That's got to be a, a favorite Steve Gutenberg Uta Hagen movie. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Of all of them. When you're playing Six Degrees of Uta Hagen. Yeah. Yeah. Did I hear you say, too, that Peck was defensive about uh, criticisms of that performance? I think he was. That's what I read. Yeah. You know, not, I didn't do a deep dive on it, but I heard that he, in later life, if people made fun of it, he took a little bit extra offense to it. Let's hear a little more of that good Mason, uh, Josh. We're pulling the plug on the operation, Mengele. Good. See, Lolita, yes. a bubble of poison in my loins. See, Gregory Peck said that. See, I like watching Peck in that because he looks like he's having fun. <laughs> and and Gregory Peck said 
they changed, you know, it's supposed to be Mangala versus Simon Wiesenthal. Right. And right, he says, right, right. We, we changed Simon Wiesenthal's name because we were afraid he might sue us. But we kept Mangala's name because we were hoping he'd sue us. <laughs> <laughs> Great if, if, oh. if Mengele just forgot what he was that he was in hiding yeah. and sued and gave his address. And <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> so both you guys, this is interesting too. Both you guys started stand up at the same age. At fifteen, yeah, fifteen for me in Minnesota, in Minneapolis. What the hell were you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> You know, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't one of those kids who was like sitting there writing jokes in a notebook. It was a, I had always sort of assumed it would be something I would do, but I didn't have a plan for it. And then my friend Barry said, I'm doing an open stage tomorrow night. And I was like, I'll go with you. And I wrote my five minutes, like two hours before the show. And by the end of that night, I just, I knew I found my thing forever. So In one night? Yeah, pretty much. Wow. Gil, you, did, did that happen to you? Was it was it one night? Uh, I always say I I I was too stupid to know if I did well or bombed. Right. He so I just kept doing it. He's not quite sure what the first venue was. Mine was the Ha Ha Club in Minneapolis. This is eight nineteen eighty seven. Yeah, mine was some club in Manhattan when we all still lived in Brooklyn, and my sister Arlene had a friend who said, you know, your brother. Is always one seems like he wants to be a comic, and there's some club in Manhattan. You just write your name down, and it, but I used to think it was the bitter end. Then my sister said it wasn't. Was it she probably? Was it the Village Gate knows. or some? Was yeah, it some some I other place that was doing an open know. mic night? Yeah. Yeah. What What did the first night consist of? I it was I was really not that far from like you know, Frank Gorshin, Rich Little, I just doing imitations. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. How much do you remember about that first set, Josh? Um, I remember, I remember the feeling more than the jokes. And what I also remember is that the next three weeks I came back and did like completely different acts. Like the next week I came back and did a character. And then the third week I came, I made a bunch of props because I thought you had to do something different each week. And the club owner finally said, you know, just keep the keep the good jokes. Yeah, <laughs> throw away the bad <laughs> do ones one thing. and add to them. That's what you do. And then I was on my way. It took a few <laughs> had a little detour, but then I was on my way. I'm always interested too. And when, when yeah, I mean, both you guys, all of us were you know TV addicts. We were sitting there watching Carson, and yeah. and 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 exposed to the similar things. Is is there something? Is there is there one thing that I mean? I never really did stand up, but Robert Klein. When I it's before I saw you yeah. on stage, I had those Robert Klein albums, Child of the Fifties, and uh -huh. my and Mind Over Matter. I can remember, I can pinpoint that. I can remember listening to Bob and Ray and Robert Klein as something that, that specifically interested me in comedy. Was there was there something that kind of turned there, your head and 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 made you think, oh, shit, I can do this, or I at least have to try? The two things I went over, like the Zapruder film as a kid, were Bill Cosby is a very funny fellow, right? Uh huh. And uh, Alan Sherman, my son, the folk singer. And there you go. The nut. There you go. But I learned, like Alan Sherman, you could learn about every kind of laugh on Alan Sherman records because it'd be like the anticipation laugh, the recognition laugh, the pure give it up laugh. And I, and I had started to hear those kind of different things. I don't know how consciously at the time, but yeah. looking, looking back, I know that I noticed, you know. Listening to comedy albums, 
it always, and, and more so now, it always, there was something depressing and eerie about it. Really? I Yeah, I, it bothered me. Which albums some, are we talking about? I mean, just any of them. You any, like those yeah. Sherman records. We talked about yeah, those with yeah. Yazbek. Yeah, he was, well, he was terrific. Shake yeah. hands with your Uncle Max. and I wasn't even Jewish sure. when I was listening to those yeah. albums. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alan Sherman was that people was like sort of a lesson on uh, what a Jew looks and sounds like to Gentiles. Absolutely, yeah. And it gave everyone a chance to, to, to learn what, the Jew laughs. This is what a Jew laughs at. <laughs> I like when he says members of Hadassah. Remember that? Right. When he's, he's playing Zelda, a, Yeah, he's playing in different Zelda. parts of the room in the Harry Belafonte parody. I didn't even I didn't even know the original songs. I didn't even know what was being parodied. No, I didn't and, either. I had to ask my parents. We just we we interviewed uh Harpo's son. Yeah, we had Bill Marks but, here. Yeah. And wow. and Harpo. He worked that. with Alan Sherman. Yeah, Harpo's last time on stage in front of an audience was with Alan Sherman. Wow, I think, and I think it was Harpo that convinced him to do the album because he was just doing these things at parties. I think Harpo put up some of the money for the studio, and they invited a bunch of friends and got him drunk for that first album. That may be true. That's that's cool. <clears throat> but it was that. It was that in the Cosby album. Those are the ones that my, my that my parents had in their collection. Yeah. And you, and yet you and found, then, but, go ahead. but they were, I had funny, I, I had, a, I had funny people in my house too, though. Yeah, talk about that a little bit. It was a big, I mean, I had, I had, um, my dad was like, just in terms of performatively, he was a lawyer, but he loved telling jokes and he, he would collect them and he would refine them. And you could see him when he was being told a joke that he was intaking it and, you know, making his tweaks and do, you know, adding dialects where he could. So, you know, people would request certain jokes from him, you know. So it was and a currency and, and, in your And house. they were the classics, you know, that, that I've seen Gilbert tell before even, you know. Um, and, and my mom was a great audience and super smart, but an easy laugh uh, if it was a good joke. And so I grew up in this house where it was like everything was serious and funny simultaneously. And so a good joke was never inappropriate. You know, a bad joke could, could mess you up. And, you, know, if they were, you know, if my mom was pissed off and you made her laugh, it was over. If you did the wrong joke, you could inflame the situation greatly. You know? <laughs> but, but in general, you know, what I, when I heard my mom bragging about me on the phone, it was because of a joke I told. You know, so like that to me, I think there's an approval. There's an yeah, approval tie sure. there for sure. It, it's funny to think that at one time you'd proudly display your Bill Cosby album. <laughs> 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 It really is, and it's and it's heartbreaking. To, yeah, uh, to to because you can't listen to it anymore without going. This guy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was watching. I have a your... great. I have a great story about my uh, about Bill Cosby signing uh, to Warner Brothers for that record. In fact, my wife was used to used to be a singer song. She's still a singer songwriter, but she does other things now. But she was on this label that was owned by this guy named Artie Mogul, who was a great sort of music publisher manager record company head at various times. Just one of those classic music guys and a pathological liar. So he, he goes, this, uh, this is a story I, that he, he, had, he himself had told my wife. He was working for A&R for Warner Brothers. And he, uh, they said, I want you to go see this guy, Bill Cosby. Um, he's performing tonight. And so Artie goes, okay, fine. And uh, Artie doesn't go. He goes to something else. 
(laughs) The next morning, the guy from Warner Brothers goes, uh, so how was the Cosby guy? Oh, he was great. Amazing. Couldn't, can't believe it. So do you think it's a problem that he's black? And Artie was like, didn't know if he was trying to be tricked (laughs) by the guy to find out if he actually went. (laughs) He goes, didn't even notice. (laughs) (laughs) I was watching your doc last night, which we'll get to in a bit too, which uh, I, I need you to kill. Cool. Where about where you sent a bunch of comedians? You went with them. I did. You, yes. you guys went to you, a road trip. You guys all went to Singapore and and Hong Kong to experience stand up over there. And I was thinking, do you know about? I was thinking, I wonder if Josh knows about Bill Cosby and the Asian models. I do not. <laughs> I want, but I want well, to. Well, you're in luck. <laughs> these these writers who worked with Bill Cosby told me. That when he was doing one of his shows, in the schedule, he had it set aside uh, that at one point, like 3.30 to 4.15, was the, his time when he taught comedy to Asian models. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's better than executive time. That's yes. That's why. That's why you see so many funny Asian models around. <laughs> <laughs> he did a great work. In how, many, how many of those Cosby shows did you do? You were, I, he was, I did two. He was on the. Remember him on the Cosby Show? I don't. Yeah. No. I appeared on his regular one where he was Doctor Huxtable, and then I I appeared on that. That weird one that followed it, where he was Lucas something. Oh, and he was like a landlord or something. I, kind of. I, there were so he, many. He was like a, a laid-off uh, airline worker, and he had the same wife. Right. Yes, yeah. that was. I think he went to CBS for that one. Yeah. You didn't. You didn't. You never went up on the Cosby mysteries. Oh uh, no, <laughs> no. I wish. Or in Ghost Dad. Oh, oh God, God. He was slated he, for Leonard Part 7, but it just didn't. Yeah, funny. He had those two movies, Leonard Part 6 yeah. and Ghost Dad. Yeah. That yeah. Ended his feature career or any yeah. aspirations. And, it, and, yet, and yet it wasn't humbling in any way for him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, both of those films are are frightening bad. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. Like, like Skidoo bad. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Skidoo is, is, is uh, more of a conversation piece. At yeah. the, Speaking at the of mawkish least. conversation pieces, uh, I heard you guys plugging a thing that I, I haven't heard, but you were, you were go, about to go after Patches by Clarence Carter. Oh, my yeah. God. We did another, we, fe- another fetish of mine. Too, <laughs> yes. So. We did a mini episode called <laughs> Death Songs of the 1970s. Okay. Because while Patches isn't so much of a death song as it's a sad song. Yes. But we were talking yes. about Shannon, the one where the dog uh, drowns. Sure. Okay. The, the, that, was the, that was the one that infamously inspired Is Casey that, Kasem's rant. Goddamn dogs, dead dogs out. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fucking ponderous. And, and Gilbert, Gilbert spontaneously, he surprised yeah. me by spontaneously I breaking his patches. I was born and raised down in Alabama in a shack way down in the woods. I was so ragged, my papa used to call me Patches. Oh, me patches. But I knew he was hurt because he don't know who he could. My papa, my papa was, was a great, great old man. man. I, I can see him with a shovel in his hands. <laughs> Education he never had. 
world. I still remember my dear old dad singing patches with the pendant <laughs> on your son to pull Take it, Josh. <laughs> Two days later, daddy passed away. I became a man that day. Oh, but I think it, his, <laughs> what? He does the spoken word part. <laughs> And you keep expecting it to even escalate. It's like, and then an eagle came from the sky and took my sister's baby. <laughs> God, you know. I did not expect a Patches uh, now, duet. I think his father dies when his father's father father already dead. Okay, yeah. so we can father's put that dead. on the list. So, yeah. We were talking about ev- Seasons in the Sun. And uh, and mama, mom died by the end of the song, too. It was it, There was wall-to-wall pathos in Patches. See, so it uh, fits I stand corrected. perfectly. I stand corrected. Yeah, because he was was a great old man. There's something about that period of pop music. But, well, Gilbert and I lament not only those, well, those death songs like Seasons in the Sun, Billy Don't Be a Hero. Right. There's Honey by Bobby Goldsboro, which is absolutely heartbreaking. Do you know Blind Man in the Bleachers? I don't know Blind oh, Man Oh, well, we've, bleachers, cha- we've just changed your like life. Like One joy. <laughs> this one's a life changer. Leave, leave <laughs> this podcast now and go <laughs> listen to Blind Man in the Bleachers. <laughs> But we also miss Fair story enough. songs. <laughs> yes. Edmund Fitzgerald. Oh, we talked about that one yes. too. The wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. I, I called it, I remembered it wrong. I called it the wreck of the Barry Fitzgerald. <laughs> the whole different story. <laughs> but you, you guys talk about pop music a lot on the show. I heard you guys talk, I heard you telling your Mrs. Robinson story, which I enjoyed, which I also didn't know. I don't even remember my Mrs. Oh yeah, about, about Mrs. Nichols Roosevelt. and Simon Paul yeah. Simon and the yeah. So yeah, so he had, he brought Simon and Garfunkel up to the studio to do this big song for the movie, and he hated what Simon had come up with apparently for that spot, and so they kind of go off into the corner and they had had this song. Uh, Here's to you, Mrs. Roosevelt, ba, 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 ba. and they just flipped it into, into the movie basically. Perfect timing. Yes. Yeah, 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 and, and and good taste by uh, Nichols. That's what I like about your podcast. Is it's a it's first of all, I didn't know there was another podcast that was out there discussing this stuff. Yeah, and it's you know, it's the, it's an old Jew uh, need. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard Sinatra's cover of Mrs. Robinson, which is another? Thing we're very affectionate about on this show. I, 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 if I have, it didn't. It didn't stick with me in the. Oh way boy, it, like it would stick with you. <laughs> okay, then no, I haven't. Because it's like that's your homework. Ring a ding ding, <laughs> Mrs. Robinson. You are a crazy cat. <laughs> At one point, he says, "Jilly." He throws in Jilly Rizzo, his uh, his bodyguard or his muscle guy. Oh, and he says, "Jilly huh? loves you more than you will know." How's your bird, Mrs. <laughs> Robinson? <laughs> Where have you gone, Mr. Marilyn Monroe? <laughs> I saw Paul Simon on uh, on a talk show, and he said he hated it at first, and wouldn't and wasn't was gonna yeah. s- stop them from doing it somehow, not give permission for this. I, I heard Dimaggio. No, uh, no, uh, uh, Paul Simon hated. Uh, Paul Simon okay. hated Sinatra's cover. Oh, okay, I thought yeah, because I heard I also heard Paul Simon say that DiMaggio goes hated it. Yeah, that's <laughs> true too. I'm right here. Yeah, that's true too. He didn't understand. What do you mean? Where have I gone? I'm right here. Right. I, apparently, he said to him, "I'm doing the Mr. Coffee yeah. commercial. <laughs> where Where have I gone? But, but and I heard Mickey Mantle approach Paul Simon. Heard that too. Yeah, yeah, and said, "Why didn't you use me in the song?" Wow. 
Lord, this is our And we will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast right after this. Gilbert and Frank, what's your game now? Can anybody play? We now return to the Gilbert Gottfried's amazing So tell us, because we have to touch on MST, the, okay. f- the fans the fans demand it. How, how did you go? You're doing stand-up. You're a teenager in clubs, in the Ha Ha Club. Uh, well, I met I met Joel Hodgson uh, right as I was starting stand-up. He, he was sort of coming back from his, he had had the sort of self-imposed exile from stand-up, mm-hmm. where he had like come to Los Angeles and he was kind of the it boy for a minute and it kind of overwhelmed him and scared him. And so he went back to Minnesota to be a bohemian for a couple years. Uh, cause he came out here very young and he, you know, came from a Christian college and I think it was just a little, a little too bright lights, big city for him at that moment. And, uh, so he was coming back and this was after he had done Letterman a bunch of times and Saturday night. Live. I remember seeing him on SNL. Yeah. As, you know, doing, doing his prop act. Uh, yeah. Agent J. Things like I that. remember. Um, and so I was a big fan of his as a kid. And so when he came back, I was very excited. And then he decided he was going to teach this sort of creativity stand up class, which, you know, in hindsight, he probably wasn't that, that qualified to do at the time, but, but it was still a good chance to think about doing stand up when I was just starting. So, um, that's how I got to know him. And then we became friends and, uh, he, we were part of a, a writing group that a bunch of local comics would have once a week where we just sort of dump our notebooks on each other and see if anyone had any tags. And one day after the show, he asked, Hey, uh, he's, you know, he was just like, Hey, I'm doing this thing tomorrow and uh, with puppets and you want to come help? And uh, it was kind of that simple. And we each traced you and I each kind of grabbed a puppet and it kind of grew from there. But initially it was like, we're just going to do like our version of a hosted movie like you'd see on any local TV station, except we're going to go into the movie with you and we'll yeah. watch it and comment. It wasn't really designed for, you know, wall to wall jokes, but it was all improv. So as we sort of started adding jokes, you then started to feel the absence of jokes. So we would add more jokes and then we just kind of kept building until it was critical mass. You're, you're, what are you, 17, 18 at this point? I was 17 at that time. 17. We did it at a, it was at a local UHF station in Minneapolis and then we uh, sold it to the, what what was then Comedy Channel? I remember Comedy Channel. Yeah, and and who uh, came up with the idea for a talking uh, gum machine? Uh well, it was actually it was a it was an it was a uh, last ditch change because he had initially given me this robot that had a, a fishbowl head and called it Beeper, and so for the first stuff we were doing, I was doing basically like R two D two beeps. I'm like, this is not going to be fun for me. Give me something with a mouth. <laughs> and he found, <laughs> and he found uh, the gumball machine, and then he goes, "Okay, come up with a character for this, essentially." And I came up with Tom Servo. And you, you who, thought of Servo as sort, sort of, of a, a deep morning DJ, kind of morning DJ. Is kind of, looking back, it's kind of uh, we talked about uh, WKRP. Yeah, it was it was sort of Herb Tarlick, and it was sort of uh, Howard Hessman's evil uh, disco DJ Riptide. It was sort of this womanizing version. I'm Tom Servo with a big Marty voice, and I talk like this. It was sort of, you know, 
It was my, you know, 18 year old version of the smarmiest thing I could think of. Sort of. And, and on, on the show, you showed one of those movies. I always like, cause I mean, look, I love the universal horror classics, but I love the monogram shit ones even more. Yeah. And, and you showed uh, a movie I've been watching since I was little, uh, The Mad Monster with George Oh, that was one Zucco. of our very first ones, yeah. Is that George Zucco? Yeah. Yeah, and Lugosi? Uh, no, Lugosi's not uh, in oh, it. Oh, Lugosi's got, in the other one, The Corpse Vanishes. It's got Glenn Strange. Right, right. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's hard to watch bad, but still, you know, a great piece. And it's, you know, like so many of those things, you're glad you saw it, but it's hard to watch sometimes. And, and when I saw it, it's so funny. That was a popular plot back then. And they used it in one of the last uh, Jurassic Park movies with Vincent D'Onofrio. Uh, back in those movies, they used to say, imagine an army of invincible monsters to fight all wars. <laughs> Right. And Vincent D'Onofrio <laughs> does that in Jurassic Park. Not much has changed. Well, and and, uh, and Gregory Peck does it with young Hitlers. Yes, he does. It's a good yeah, call. A good yeah. callback. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't doesn't Trace do a great Gregory Peck? Well, that was Doctor Forrester was based oh, on his, his yes. Gregory Peck impression. That's right. Absolutely. I knew that. When we we when we came up with the Mad Scientist, you know, we each kind of had you know Tr Trace's robot had a sort of high squeaky voice, Crow. So he went with the low Gregory Peck, hello, Joel. And then I had that low voice for Servo. So I went with a voice like this. It's funny, too, reading interviews with you guys, and you're saying that sometimes you would stop riffing because you would get sucked into the plot. And I'm thinking, yes. How is, <laughs> how is that even possible? Well, I mean, on the, on the original show, it, we didn't write it. You know, when it was a local show, we just didn't write it. The, the entire, one in Minnesota. Yeah, yep. we would we would pick the movie late on a Thursday afternoon and watch it for 10 minutes and go, that'll work. And then we'd come in Friday morning and we'd write us, write the little host sketches in about an hour. And then we'd start shooting those. And then in the afternoon we'd riff the movie improv and we'd online edit the show as we were shooting it. And so at five o'clock, a wrestling show came into the studio. We had to be out and our show had to be wrapped and online simultaneously. So it was a, it was a very, uh, Quick turnaround. Did you do the mad scientist segments last too? Were those rushed? We would, they were always rushed. Uh -huh. uh, when we did it at the local show, it was everyone wanted to go to lunch. And when we did it as on the national show, everyone wanted to go home. It was always the last thing. On the comedy channel. And anybody and, remember on the that? Comedy channel. Yes. Higgins, Boys, and Gruber were on the comedy Higgins, channel. Higgins, Boys, and Gruber, and Tommy Sledge. I remember. Rachel, Rachel Sweet. Sweet. Right. And yeah. which, which Lugosi movies did you show? Uh, you know, I left the show early, so they probably did, but uh, Corpse Vanishes was one of them. Um, I don't th think they ever did get to Plan 9 on that show, but they all did it sort of after. Yeah. Um, Craw Crawling Eye was, I think, the first one that I remember on Comedy that Central. Was, I think that was the first one. The Forrest Tucker. Like, that was Forrest oh, Tucker. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. I think the Ghost Vanishes. Corpse it, Vanishes. Uh, Corpse Vanishes is the one where... You find out Lugosi keeps seeing his dead wife walking around the grounds. And you find out and try to put some common sense into this. 
that the groundskeeper and his wife to be nice. Uh, and when Lugosi and his wife got in a car accident, they found out she was still alive. And out of sympathy to Lugosi, they kept her in the basement and didn't tell him anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're going, oh, this is, you're, you're being sympathetic to a guy uh, who just lost his wife by lock, keeping her prisoner in the basement? Talk about fear of intimacy. We love, yeah. we love these. Here's a couple others. I mean, I know you did this. What is this, 30 years ago now? It was 30 years Black ago. Black Scorpion, Planet of the Prehistoric Women. Any of these, yeah. any of these ring a bell? Uh, I've sort of, I think was, I think Stuart did Robot Golan. Monster too, I think. We did do Robot Monster. That was the first of like the classic cheese, yeah. you know, uh, golden turkey kind of movies okay. that we did. Robot, Robot Monster. <laughs> yeah, which yeah. I have a fondness for, by it the way. It stars the actor George Nader. Yes. Now, George Nader. Uh, oh, he's the one with the Tab Hunter thing? Yeah, with yeah. the Rock Hudson. Rock Hudson. Rock, right. The tabloids were threatening to print a whole expose that Rock Hudson was gay, and they threatened the studio with it. And the studio said, if you keep quiet about that, we'll give you George Nader. Tragic. And yeah, <laughs> they handed him George Nader, and that pretty much ended his career. Although Rock Hudson... When he died, most of his fortune went to George Nader. Probably felt guilty. Yeah, I'm sure. They threw him under the float. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's why he's a riffer. You know, it's a fun, it's kind of a, we don't have to go over why you left the show. You 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 left after one season, I guess. I did. Is the, if you want to, we can. You know. Well, I, I think it's kind of sweet the way, you know, you guys circled back to each other all these years later. Yeah, you I, and Joel I, I, and Trace and and Cinematic Titanic. I like the adultness of that a lot. You know, yeah, it's, um, you got to go home it, again a little bit. I mean, the, I think the you know I'll, I'll try to be as two sided about it as I can. I think um, they when when we went to Comedy Central, they they formed a company for the show and basically decided since I was a kid uh, of you know I probably eighteen by the time they incorporated it or whatever I, that they didn't need to make me a partner despite the fact that creatively I had very much been. Absolutely. I thought was, you know, and you can see it on tape because it was an all improv show. <laughs> you know, you can see my contribution. Um, so I, so they basically said, yeah, we don't need to make him a partner. And then they sort of went, this, Jim Mallon, who was in charge of, who was the, the production uh, executive producer, basically decided that he thought I should even be more, I should be grateful for what I had. And he could treat me like an intern, despite the fact that I was like on camera for every moment of the show and a wow. full-time writer. So they paid me less than everybody, salary-wise too, and uh, that started that mounted on me, and I couldn't hide my uh, hostility of that point. So by the end of the first season, it was a pretty mutual like time to go. Yep, time to go. But uh, well, there's felt, something admirable you know, about that that you're only you're only seven you're only 18, and yet you you find a way to stand up for yourself. As opposed, a lot of people would have said, "This is a ride. I'm not going to get off this." Yeah, and I think that's what they expected I would do. But I, you know, but the weird thing was is I had been accepted so quickly as a peer in the stand up community, you know, because I was a real joke writing working stand up very mm -hmm. quickly. So that to me was much more, you know, 
I could go back to this and actually make more money as a stand-up than what they were paying. They were paying me like less than minimum wage ultimately to do mystery science theater. You know, um, I could go back to stand-up, make more money, get way more respect, and have a lot more fun, and not have to go to an office every day, which I felt like I sort of got tricked into doing. Right, you know? right, right. Anyway, so um, you know, it worked out great ultimately, and you know, and Trace Beaulieu was at that time was a very shut down guy, but sense has grown a great deal and he and I have turned into really dear friends and Hodgson and I have made peace over the years and then we all work together again. Cause I thought it was, you know, I thought it was clearly a, a rich creative partnership in that moment when we started this. Thing. Yeah. Well, that's what um, I mean. It has a nice ending. Yeah. I feel good about the ending. You came back to do movies like oozing skull and Santa Claus conquers the Martians. Yes. Which <laughs> I, can, I, I watch I a bunch of those, by the way, those cinematic Titanics on DVD are fun. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, in some ways it's, you know, I'm prouder of them than mystery science theater. Cause they represent me as, as a fully grown comic person, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you could feel d different chops all those years later, obviously. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And you know, and I just had a lot more control over what was going on within cinematic Titanic. Cause most of them wanted nothing to do with producing the shows and doing those things. And so I was sort of the default Joe runner of it. Yeah. Did did you have any of my favorite Lon Chaney Jr. on mystery science fiction? I not when I was there, but I bet they did. They must have at some point. There was like two hundred. We had Conniff on. We went through all those those B movies in his book. Calling the right. B movies is being generous. Absolutely. Uh, Doomsday <laughs> Machine with Casey Kasem. Yes. <laughs> to, to bring it back around again. Now you worked. With that was an abandoned movie. That was a movie that got abandoned for years, and they and they they hired. They hired, I think, Corman to come in and tag on an, a really horrible oh, ending did just they? to make it. Yes. I know yeah, Wa Wasp Woman, speaking of Corman, we had Corman here, by the way, which was, yeah. if, you, if you haven't met him. Uh, I met him. Uh, oh, you did? Via, I met him via cease and desist order once. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sorry I brought it up. Wow. <laughs> we were doing a show at the Ford Amphitheater in uh, L.A., one of our big shows in L.A., and. Uh, we were going to do Wasp Woman. And this is the Ford Amphitheater is a, probably about 1,200 seater, like across the freeway from the Hollywood Bowl. And it had been in the LA Times that these guys from MST are coming back and they're going to tear Wasp Woman a new asshole. You know, it was really that kind of an article. And uh, Corman sent us cease and desist to the theater, to the county who owned the theater. No shit. I didn't know he was litigious like that. And uh, so we just went, okay, well, we'll do a different movie. <laughs> and so we just did a different movie. <laughs> and then... When we called him up, we, we were going to release Wasp Woman as a DVD, and we called up, and actually Hodgson and I got on the phone with their lawyers for some reason, because we were probably too cheap to hire our own. And uh, they were like, well, you know, Roger doesn't want to shut you down. He just wants his taste. And he was trying to explain, since he had made Wasp Woman, Wasp Woman that we were using was public domain. Uh, but he, he was trying to explain how, I because he had, he had remade Wasp Woman years later, it was retroactively copywriting all those characters. And I'm like, so if I do Romeo and Juliet, Shakespeare's out of luck. And uh, so we ended up settling for, we'll put a disclaimer on the front of our DVD. This isn't the 1985 Wasp Woman. And then they went So out. he's looking for a payday. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We love to have those kind of characters on this show. We had Larry Cohen too. Oh, he really? Just passed. An another, he, another great character. He was hysterical. Lar larger than life. Yeah. Speaking of... Uh, Corman, Corman doesn't seem hysterical. Corman? Yeah. 
No, he, he was into humor. He was fun with us. I think he did. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. You could tease him. He he talked about like lighting a movie scene because uh, oh, with the headlights with, with the headlights. Yeah, <laughs> they said, uh, "Well, you all have cars, don't you?" <laughs> or that that story about the ter- is it the terror the one that he only made because his tennis game got rained out. Ah, uh, yes, he had, he had the sets already built. And Boris Karloff owed him a day's work from right. the previous movie. So many things of his were just like, well, we got an extra day with this. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And then they, with those movies, they would see, like, if a studio had just finished an A Western or an A period piece, they'd go, oh, they still have the set there. Let's make something quick. Right. That's why uh, DeMille buried his sets for the the first sets for the Ten Commandments, so no one would come along and make uh, a new version. Oh, yeah. I think he did with Intolerance, too. Did he? Okay. Maybe uh, maybe that's what I'm thinking. Oh, no. I'm thinking, no, that's D.W. Griffith. But I think he outside of outside of L.A. He buried all his uh, his first the first version of uh, the Ten Commandments. He buried all his sets deep, and apparently it was a there was, it was one of those nerd hunt things for a long mm-hmm. time. This is from Conniff. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this because I, I I emailed uh, Frank to see if he had any good dirt okay. on you. He said uh, ask him about celebrating in quotes with Goldie Hawn. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to talk about it? I can cut it out. It sounds I. <laughs> I want it. Uh, I think it's, I mean, I, this was a night I did uh, Ecstasy, but it wasn't with Goldie Hawn. Oh. It was, after, it was after Kurt and Goldie left, but I was working on a TV show up in, uh, up in uh, Vancouver with Michael DeBar as one of the cast members. And uh, Goldie, Goldie's son, Oliver Hudson, was in our cast. So Goldie and Kurt had brought their other son to Vancouver to talk to a hockey coach, so they were in town. And we all had dinner at the showrunner's uh, rented condo with uh, Goldie and Kurt. And Kurt was everything you'd think Kurt would be. And Goldie was everything you'd hope Goldie would be, I have to say. <laughs> he, she, was, uh, she was a delight. She was engaging. And uh, he was, you know, alpha dog. I would have slipped on my back and peed on myself if I had to. Goldie <laughs> was such an alpha dog type dude, but. But it was fun. And then after they left, another cast member gave me ecstasy and and uh, I got super high. But I think Frank was conflating this. I see. All right. We'll take, like, we'll take him to task. You, you know, I remembered another story about someone destroying a set. It, may, it was on this show. It may have been James Caron who told it. That on Little House on the Prairie. Oh well, that was Landon blowing up this. The, yeah, he blowing up the blew set, up so. the entire village. He wrote it into the last episode that the entire village is blown up. Right, because so, there was a lot of big explosions on the prairie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you more random stuff from the podcast. Uh, Josh, okay, but 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 quickly, just tell us about the experience of working on Freaks and Geeks because we had Judd and Paul both here. Uh, Freaks and Geeks was great, and uh, the reason I think the reason I got there, the, my end to that was Paul Feig, who was like the first person I met mm-hmm. in Los Angeles uh, when I moved here when I was twenty, and I met him like literally on the first day, and I was like, there, and he was a big Mystery Science Theater fan, and I was like, oh, this LA is going to be great. Everyone's super nice, and they know who Mystery Science Theater. Is. And he was like the last guy in either category <laughs> for a while. Uh, but he and I hung out together, and we played in bands well, together. You're good, both had, good mis- Midwesterners, Michigan and Minnesota. Yes, absolutely. Same, and we we, we uh, same stock. Know, we would go sh- 
we'd go shoot pool and people would think he was Andy Dick at the time. And, uh, um, in fact, I hired him as a writer before he hired me as a writer. Uh, we did a pilot together called fast food films. But, uh, so, so, so it was, uh, it was, uh, Paul who brought me in for the freaks and geeks meeting. And then the other sort of rare thing was that, um, I had just come off of America's Funniest Home Videos where I had sort of been brought in to desagatize mm-hmm. the show. Desagatize. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, the only person in show business who ever watched it at any time was Judd Apatow, who happened to be home on Saturday nights because he had just had a baby. So the only person who ever noticed my work on America's Funniest Home Videos was Judd, who was sitting there going, yeah, it's amazing. You aren't, you know, you aren't forcing anything. You're, t- you're actually making real premises now, you know. So he noticed. I love it. Uh, and that got me under Freaks and Geeks, uh, which was a great experience. Uh, the thing that stands out about the experience to me is just the, A, the vast amount of talent in the cast that you could feel, you know, even when they were very young. And um, just the, the good feeling throughout the entire production of everyone sort of like trying to do their best work and being proud of it. And you don't always feel that in TV. No, certainly not. But everybody was trying to keep their, raise their game. Everyone was raising their game and, you know, and Judd, I think Judd's a tough boss too. So he's, he's a tough to please boss. So he keeps everyone's games high, but everyone was proud of the work they were doing. And that was palpable in the air. It holds up so well. Gilbert and I both watched the show. We had Paul here and we were talking about it. And it, it was a strange animal. People forget no cable shows at the time. Right. I mean, I mean, I guess there was HBO, but three, still three, five, uh, four networks at the time. And it's a, it's a, it's a strange show. I mean, it's not sentimentalized like the wonder years and it's not a soap like, right. much like 90210. What's that? Much the chagrin of the network. It wasn't any of I mean, it's a, yeah, yeah. It's an uncompromising yeah. look at high school with the sadistic gym coach, your, your pal Gruber as the hippie and, guidance counselor. Yeah. A great cast. Really great. That cast. would later go on to big things. Yeah. And you could feel, I mean, Linda Cardellini is still probably my favorite actress to ever write for just because she could always find things that even if you wrote it, you didn't know were there, you know? Yeah. And all hail Joe Flaherty. Oh God. To write a drunk scene for Joe Flaherty was one of the great thrills of my life. Yeah. And you were an SCTV guy. Oh, for sure. Coming into it. Yeah. And you worked with Foster Brooks? No, he just loves Foster Brooks. You just worked. (laughs) I was hoping you worked. He has a strange obsession with Foster Brooks. I just have a strange, bad, recurring impression that I do on the podcast. Uh, (laughs) Well, my wife is from uh, (laughs) just outside of Rochester. I don't think I ever heard anybody do Foster Brooks. (laughs) See, that's why I chimed to it. I also love that you were talking about how he would sit down and do panel after he would do his, his, his set. He would sit down and do panel with Johnny and then be completely pretentious. He would be absolutely, well, John, I, uh, yes, uh, you know, the, the drunk character is, uh, people often think I'm intoxicated. But, uh, <laughs> and, and he was another one of those people. Oh, I love talking about these people. Like we had on, um, oh, geez. Uh, uh, Al, Al, uh, uh, you can call me Ray. Oh, we, uh, we had Billy Ray Saluga. Ray J. Johnson. We, we had Billy Saluga on the show. So we had on Billy Saluga. <laughs> this is obscure stuff, We had wow. Al Martino. Okay. And we, we had Al Martino? Al, oh, wait, that's the guy from The Godfather. <laughs> Was he here? Ah. <laughs> I, missed, I missed him. 
Who did we have? Who are they? From the Godfather? No. That, 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 oh, that, Art Matrano. Art, Art, Art Matrano. Remember him? Art Matrano. I, I sort of remember he had like some weird, horrible accident where he fell he off did. a roof. He did. He fell off a roof. Horrible. Yeah. And, and it's like Buster Brook fits in with that category. Like, Absolutely. Uh, hey, I Absolutely. could do that. Absolutely. <laughs> For sure, you're right. <laughs> you mean like one bit? Yeah. yeah. One bit that lasts about three minutes, but built an entire career you on You say it. that about Nipsey, too. Oh, oh, yeah. Although, I guess it was a new poem every time. Yes. Right. <laughs> but sort of one-hit wonder comics, if you will. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. We <laughs> called Saluga. He was just thrilled that we knew who he was and that we, you know, we th these guys. He I mean, stopped at You Can Call Me. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. Here's another thing, and we'll get to the docs, but here's another thing that I've that I loved you guys hearing you guys talk about on Thought Spiral. Uh out of the blue. Mr. Jaws and Dickie Goodman comes up. Oh, man. So, Dickie, he somehow just followed me on Twitter, Dickie Goodman. Um, it must be yeah, somebody would, using his name. I think Dickie's gone. Uh, then, yeah, it must be the, the yeah. official Dickie Goodman. Yeah. But no, but there was, they had done a new, like a new Trump current version of the UFO Dickie Goodman uh, track recently. So someone's used, someone has, either Dickie's still alive or, uh, or someone is uh, is using the brand. <laughs> Dickie Goodman impersonator. <laughs> I remember that, that that Mr. Jaws song. Oh God, uh, it's great! When I was a little kid, was a, I? Just, I loved it, and uh, I used to try to like come up with my own. You know, I would try to come up with my own using current hits of the day, and then uh, Dave Gruber and Al Alan and I would occasionally perform a live version of Mr. Jaws. Where we'd do a fake oh. interview, and, and I would sing the snippets of the songs, and it would have made me happy I, I would, to see I, that I, I live. Would play the I would play the speaker essentially. <laughs> yeah, not novelty records. I mean, we're talking about story songs being gone. You know, you don't. Hear, there's no such thing really as also, a novelty record anymore. Who or Al Alan Sherman? Who produced Except those Weird records? That it used to be like. Oh, the flying saucer. That's what he's talking about. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. it exactly. Yeah, yeah. Dickie Goodman. Dickie Goodman. So he's the one who put those out? The late Dickie yes. Goodman. That and Mr. Jaws. Mr. Jaws was the one that really penetrated me, but there was the flying UFO one. Yeah. And uh, uh, what's uh, Albert Brooks on A Star Is Bought. Oh, yeah. Did a parody of that kind of record where he would make up, uh, you know, hey, will you come back? I'll be right back in a second. Just I'm going to get a drink. <laughs> it, was like, it was like these incredibly specific <laughs> answers. That he had produced himself. I'm saying, aside from Weird Al, I mean, does does novelty do novelty records even exist as a thing? No, I can't. I can't think of anybody no. doing that. There's kind like of Weezer thing. doing sort of pseudo ironic covers. That's about all you can get to now. Yeah, I mean, just like they did Africa. That's sort of a novelty, right? And yet, you know, well, comedy's changed so much. Well, like they did one that it's was quaint now. To do something like that. Senator yeah. Dirksen. Sure, that was big. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think of something like Ray Stevens in the streak. Oh yes. In, sure. In, in the in the 70s. Well, Alan Sherman, when he when his came out, it was like one of the it was one of the biggest LPs of all time when it came out. My son the folk singer. Yeah. 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 So, I gotta go and, back and, and listen to that. And that was also the, the same era as Von Meter and and uh 
some huge comedy records. Yeah, it's 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 a bygone era. I'm making my first comedy album next week. And Tell us next. about it. Uh, it's my stand-up act. I've never this is I've made all these things and I've been a stand-up since I was 15, but I've never made any stand-up product that was me before. So it's time. Congratulations! <laughs> it's literally that. It's just like I'm sick of this material and it's good. It's time to not write some new stuff. So let's make an album. Gilbert's writing new stuff every week. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm working on my Robert Mitchum bit. <laughs> you insolent Jew. Oh, no, that's sorry. Tell us about the docs. And I asked, uh, I asked some of our listeners to throw out questions for you, and a guy named uh, Jason Presley said, please ask Josh, seriously, when will the Michael DeBar documentary get some kind of release? Uh, we are now literally months away now. Fantastic. Um, it has been, it has been, I mean, albatross is maybe too negative a word, <laughs> but it has been this, this long journey with this movie. And, uh, most of it has been related to gathering up music rights for everything Yeah, uh, because Michael has such a long and varied career with lots and lots of record deals and publishing deals that had to be found and negotiated. And these people don't return calls. <laughs> so, um, so most of it's that some of it's, I had to make other movies and other money and do other things. But uh, most of the time I've been waiting for some answer. And do you have a list of diseases that Pamela DeBar has? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> she seems like such a nice lady. Yes. She is. She's she a comes delight. Off so I'm, not, well. I'm, not, I'm not going down that road with you, Gilbert. I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> she seems lovely. She is lovely. I'd like to get her for this show, actually, Gilbert. I think she's a, she's probably a great storyteller. Oh, I'm sure. And by the way, what a great subject for a documentary he is. He was great. And he, and it really was like, because I had remembered him from KRP as a kid. And then I was the age of where I cared that he was replacing Paul, Robert Palmer in the power station at yeah. Live Aid. So like when I finally met him, I already had a curiosity about him. And then I would I was working with him on a, on a couple of shows actually in, in consecutive years he guest starred one year and then he was in the cast the second year replacing Johnny Rotten, uh, which is true to his uh, his uh, pattern in life of replacing rock stars. Uh, but I would see him I'd, he'd be with like the acting the actors and he'd be telling them Sidney Poitier stories. Mm -hmm. and, oh right, because he's into just serve with love as a as a teen. Right, and then he'd be like with the crew guys telling him Zeppelin stories and you know and he was like. So into moments with people. And, and the thing that really sort of surprised me about him and sort of charmed me about him was then he would then go, what about you? And he would listen intently to people, other people's stories. So it wasn't just him holding mm -hmm. court. You mm -hmm. know? And I started to get interested in just like, what is this brand of narcissism that he has? You know, because it's a very generous form of it, but it's clearly <laughs> also <laughs> a rich narcissist. You know, um, and he was really generous. Initially, I want, we started to write a book together. And then, so I did a lot of interviews to kind of get the story. And then we kind of ran out of steam of wanting to write a book. And so it kind of died for several years. And then we ran into each other as we were both guests on a radio show together. And I was like, why didn't we do a doc? And he was like, we should have. And then within three weeks I was shooting. Good for you. It's very well made. Thank you and very he, much. And he is just, he's fun. He's a fun guy to take that ride, that journey he, with. He, sounds he, he was fun. He sounds relatively normal. He does. He is, you know, it took, but it took the whole journey for him to get there. You know, I, I think. Well, he's a hedonist. I, 
he's a hedonist yeah. and he's, you know, and, and he is a narcissist yes. and he, you know, and he did have to get through, you know, the crippling parts of that in order to become, you know, a real boy, if you will. Yeah. He's, he says it took him that, that long to be an adult. Right. To have to be, uh, I'm trying to remember the term he uses, a, a, a good man, a good boy or a man of, uh, I can't even remember myself yeah. and I drive yeah. it. But, but it's, uh, I mean, he's, I mean, at points you're thinking he's like a spinal tap character come to life. Yeah, no, and I, I just, I have, I have a lot of respect for him for, for a lot of reasons, you know. His ability to tell the truth in this movie was a, was a, was one of the things I grew respect for him. But it, yeah, it also, as, you know, the thing I learned from it just for my own personal journey was just like, careers are long, you know. If you're mm -hmm. lucky, careers are long and things ebb and flow and come and go. And, you know, you, if you're just, you know, if you're ready for the next thing, that's the best thing you can do. I just co-starred in a movie for the first time in my life. Um, and it was just cause it came to me, you know, because the, the director was a fan of our podcast, essentially. Great. You know? So, so I feel like that it was so life affirming just that I live a life that something like that can happen. You know? Yeah. It, it is, it is a strange thing about careers. I mean, and he's a guy, it's almost like a rags to, to riches to rag story. I mean, you know, he's, he's yeah. a rock star and, and then he's a gigolo to pay the bills. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. For a while. Right. And I, I think he, and I think he attacked both with the exact same energy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, also, you also have to admire him. He's, you, you get the impression he's a guy that just through force of will gave himself a career. Absolutely. He forced, I, he forced celebrity to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And, but you get in a room with him and you feel, you feel the, uh, there's certain people that, you know, that make people feel like they're stars and he's one of those people. Yeah. And that's a talent. It is. I absolutely. love when he says, I, I certainly don't have it. I live my life in a frame. He's, he's, yes. he's talking about himself inside, how he perceives himself inside of a screen, inside right. of a yeah. movie screen. And the thing that was amazing about that is he, he sort of, he's staring into the camera and he sort of points to each corner of the screen, but he did not have a monitor for that shot. So he nailed where the corners of the frame were. But Amazing. I didn't, tell, I didn't tell him what the shot was. Amazing. That a guy who's born to an, an, an aristocratic family. Yes. The, uh, the son of a, a junkie aristocrat and a schizophrenic stripper. It's fascinating. I love what he, what he was talking about opening bands as fluffers. Opening yeah. acts that you don't get to come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have to recommend it. I, I'm, I'm, I hope you... Uh, it will be a. It is a. It will be a 2019 release. Fantastic, because it really is worth seeing. And he's one of those guys where I wasn't sure. I thought, you know, because you might not know the name, right? But then as soon but, as you see him, oh, it's the guy from MacGyver. Yeah, and and uh, and Melrose I, Place and, so and Roseanne. I remember that episode of I I I never used to watch WKRP in Cincinnati. Really, but that one still. I remember that episode. And he's a good actor. He's a good versatile actor. Absolutely. He's yeah. totally convincing in comedy parts and, and, yeah, ba and, that's, and bad I mean, guys. That, that is the one thing I, the niche that he found was, and I've, we've, I've auditioned real and I, I don't mean to demean him by saying real rock stars, but, uh, I've, I've auditioned non-acting rock stars before and they don't know what's funny about them. You know, Michael totally knows what's ridiculous about rock stars and has the ego to both play it fully and wink at it simultaneously. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's he's almost like uh, like a, a Malcolm McDowell type in in some of those roles yeah. that he takes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he can he can play tough. For Camp sure. villain. Yeah, yeah. Here's another random thing from the podcast, and I didn't get to listen to this episode. But what is old Gilbert will like this? What's old Jew medical corner? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's not an official segment. It's just when I feel like that's where we're headed. I will. I'll, <laughs> it's where our podcast degenerates into occasionally. And why do you hate Halloween? Um, because uh, I, I costume play. Adults in costumes make me very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. Gilbert, how do you feel about that? Well, I, I like it. Because you get to see uh, so many girls uh, practically naked. Right. But she, it's, it's you know, when it's Sheila from accounting, it's uncomfortable for everybody uh, yeah. at the office. <laughs> yeah. you know? It's like, I didn't know you worked here, and now you're dressed up as Poison Ivy? What are you? What? Yeah. What? <laughs> you just feel, it's like such a scream for attention. Uh, and it's really uncomfortable. And then, you know, then there's the obvious, I don't like kids coming to my house asking me for food. Oh, exactly. Yeah, that yeah. one. That's of course, I I was a fat kid, so I absolutely loved it. It's the only time I remember having a work ethic as a child is on Halloween. But uh, as I grew out of it. Speaking of childhood, and I just wrote these oh, random things I, down. I remember on Halloween, to show what a schnorr I was, uh, my parents got me this cheap pirate mask. And I went trick-or-treating all through the neighborhood every building you went through each apartment got got a bunch loads of candy brought it home and at home i found i had a zorro mask so i put that on and hit the same apartments <laughs> very nice yeah i think you've Did admitted you? that on the show before yeah. but it's it's <laughs> you know that guts to say it a second time <laughs> i i was I, you know having watched your doc i i wonder why you don't give out soap and shampoo Oh, I should. Oh, yeah, he can't part with it. <laughs> well, but he'd have to buy candy if it saves him candy money. Yes. Yeah. But but the doc is called Gilbert. <laughs> never, never. You're trained. Yeah. Never miss an opportunity. Gilbert. For a plug. <laughs> was uh, was Bob Dylan's mom at your bar mitzvah? Yes. Holy <laughs> fuck! She and my grandma grew up together. I on love the Iron it. Range of Minnesota. My father. Uh, tutored Bob Dylan. They were fraternity pledge brothers. Oh, I missed that one. At, at Sigma Alpha Mu fraternity in Minnesota, the one year he went to University of Minnesota. And his friends have told me that my, that he tutored uh, him in English. I now, love that. Now, there's a rumor that Bob Dylan has a big dick. I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> <laughs> How about Guy Marks, the comedian? Same thing. Well, jump around here. I, I want to talk about, too, the, the other doc, which I watched last night and I referenced before I need you to kill, uh, about stand-up comedy in Asia. Yeah, that was an interesting uh, trip. And it was funny because I had gone to Japan with for the Daybar thing because his uh, what I thought was going to be the third act of my movie, this reunion of his, his glam band uh, Silverhead, yeah. didn't turn out to be. It turned out to be passive-aggressive old... British guys who were still a little mad at each other. I see. Uh, so so I didn't, <laughs> didn't seem quite with the learning experience detour that I wanted to take. So, but it, it did make me feel like, Hey, I know how to take a crew to Japan and shoot a doc. So when, when Lewis Lee, who owns Acme comedy club in Minneapolis, 
said, hey, I'm doing this tour. I know you make docs. Uh, I'm thinking of doing a doc about it. I said, well, okay, cool. And he was thinking of getting some investors for it. And so I said, you know, I just made a doc. You should watch it before you offer me this opportunity. And uh, so he watched it. He loved the Debar doc so much that he said, you know what? I'm not going to get investors. I'm going to pay for this because investors will tell you what movie to make. And sure. I don't, anyone, I don't want anyone telling you what movie to make. You do whatever you want. He's a real hero. I mean, you know, comedy yeah. club owners have a certain reputation and, and Lewis comes off so well. He yeah, really care, cares about the art and cares about his customers and cares about the, the performers. He really, really does. I have, I have a great deal. I mean, he's, he's a, a friend of mine and obviously I portrayed him lovingly, but I wasn't hiding anything. You Do you know? know this club, Gil? The Acme Comedy Club in, in Minnesota? Where is it? In Min Minneapolis? Minneapolis, yeah. You know, have you played this club? I don't know. I, I lose track of all of them. Nice room. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a great room. It's, how was Hong Kong? I mean, how did, you, how did you feel about it personally? I mean, Singapore comes off a little scary, too. In it's the a movie. little scary, but it's also like sort of um, disappointingly unexotic. Singapore. Yeah. Yeah. It sort of feels like San Diego. Uh, in a lot of ways. Interesting. You know. Yeah. In the movies, uh, Singapore is like, you know, it, it the weirdest sex and murders and everything. Right. No, it's, it's like, it's very clean and uh, it's, it's, the, it's incredibly unseedy now. Wow. They run a tight ship. But Hong Kong, now we're talking a city. Hong yeah. Kong is a great city. Hong Kong is like if Fifth Avenue and Chinatown were all one thing. It's just, it's this uh, mix of money and enough Western influence so that, you know, you aren't, you don't totally feel like an outsider like you do in Tokyo, you know, but it's still clearly a Chinese city and it, and the food is great and the people are nice and it's, it's, it's a great city. Gilbert, I'd like to see you do stand up in China. Oh yeah. <laughs> I really would. They would love my John MacGyver imitation. <laughs> you know, John yes. MacGyver, the actor, John MacGyver. I don't know. I know the name, but oh, I couldn't you'd know go. him if he didn't go. That's John MacGyver. Uh-huh. Uh, did you see Larry Charles' uh, Netflix series, by the way? You guys are... It's a, I have not seen it yet, no. It's interesting because from that and from watching your doc, it, it's, it's, I start to get the impression that stand-up is kind of the same all over the world. Yeah, well, especially it's, now because everyone's learning from YouTube, you know? It's, I yes, mean, he it, goes to, he goes to he Liberia was, and Iraq yeah, and crazy places. Yeah, he was places. going to these dangerous Middle Eastern places and they'd have the brick wall that they do stand up. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's the universal. Did, did I got these, the sense too. Who was the comic? Is it Chad? The, the guy that was a little edgy for the, for the room yeah, in, in Singapore. Daniels. Yeah. That was interesting. Yeah, I mean, he's he, doing suicide jokes and jokes about not saving his child from a right. from a falling piano. Yeah, no, he was dark, and uh, they, they aren't dark people in Singapore. They're very cheerful people, <laughs> and so it was a little more of a standoff there for him. But that was, you know, it, there's a lot of audiences for whom Chad's a standoff, but he's incredibly funny. Very funny guys you chose. Yeah, Lewis actually chose him. I just filmed him, but he chose he chose an interesting, a good variety. Can I fire some questions from fans at you, Josh, before we let you out of here? Please. I assume they're fans of Gilbert, not mine. No, yours too. <laughs> Kyle, Kyle Grubbs. Okay. Friend of our podcast uh, says, uh, says uh, will Josh ever put any episodes of drive Through cinema on YouTube? He mentioned to me in an email, see, you know him, that he had all, uh, he had them all on a tape in a closet. 
Uh, it was uh, Fast Food Films is the name of that. Fast show. Food Films. Oh, he's not a big. He's not a big enough uh, fan to know the name of the show. And I only worked on the pilot. I only did. I created the show. I got Paul Feig and Trace Beaulieu, and we sat in a room with a avid machine at the time and made the pilot. But I didn't. I didn't participate in the series. I just uh, had a created by executive producer. Okay, here's a good one. Mark Arnold, uh, please ask Josh about the later with Greg Kinnear donkey incident. All right, now we're talking. <laughs> uh, I just woke up. <laughs> um, the the Greg Kinnear donkey incident. I had written this cold open for the show. Um, just a very quick joke. You see Greg Kinnear in the hall outside his dressing room with the director going. Morris, they're back again. I, I, please, can we just call the exterminator and get rid of them? And then he walks into the room, and there's two miniature donkeys walking around in his dressing room. So, you know, it's a small joke. I feel it's you know, <laughs> good. You, you could have given me something. Uh, but uh, so we did one take of that, an iffy take. Uh, we do a second take. Greg walks into the room, and one of the donkeys is spraying diarrhea around the room like a fire hose and, and, and rotating as he does it. So it's going, it's, it's like a sprinkle, you know, like, you know, and you see Greg's face of, as he recognizes what's happening and the terror that hits his face and his escape from the room, just right past camera beautifully. That's fantastic. And, uh, and we, and we ended up showing it on the show. We ended up, he was like, we showed the, the cold open that we got. And he goes, well, here's what happened. The second take. And the guys at NBC got sort of mad at me, but uh, Leno had been watching it on his set all day. Hey, show me the donkey again. <laughs> you know? And so that, 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 that kind of got me out of trouble for, for putting it on the air. But it is one of those things where great. if I think of it, I can break down crying. I laughed for three days solid. Oh, yeah, that's that. a great one. Because they were hazmat suits when they, you know, cleaning it up. It was just, it was just the, it was, it was, and it was just such a perfect fire hose of diarrhea, <laughs> frankly. Here's another one. Um, uh, jo Joe Keaton says, <laughs> this was, I, think he's, I think he's pandering to Gilbert here. Was Tom Servo anything like Hervé Villachez off camera? <laughs> uh, I think he fancied himself Hervé Villachez <laughs> off camera. Absolutely. Because Gilbert is, is kind of taken with the fact that Hervé Villachez was jealous of all the pussy that Tom Selleck was getting. Really, that was his. That was the object of his. Apparently, why does wow. Tom Selleck get so much pussy and I don't? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> he gets more money and more pussy than I do. <laughs> by the way, by the way, Kindler on the show, especially when he's tired, he sounds a little bit like Larry Fine. Have you noticed that? Yes, I have. Yes, <laughs> I just want to throw that out there. Uh, here's one. Uh, I just Stephen Craig. I just want to or Craggy. I just want to hear Gilbert and Josh talk about the creeping terror. Oh boy, that's, that's Gilbert. That's that one that looked like a giant carpet. That's the one of the students under the carpet. You know, it's 30 years and I yeah. did not go back. Yeah. I did not go back. How about Art so. Wheeler? He says, will Josh come to my house and watch Manos, the Hand of Fate with me? Uh, no, because I've sworn to, I've never seen it. I will never watch it. It is the, it, it is the, it is the ultimate here, smell this to me, is that movie. I know it's horrible. I know there's no redeeming quality aside from the fact that it exists and I'm never watching it. 
Okay. Uh, you did Desert Island Discs on the show with Andy. So quickly, I'm going to put okay. you two on the spot. Three Desert Island movies for each of you. Josh, you uh, go first. Harold and Maude, The Graduate, and Stop Making Sense. Wow. No, wow. no, wait. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Broadcast News has to go in. I love gra Broadcast the graduate. News. You seen the broadcast Criterion? News. The criteria. Uh, criteria. I did not. No. Huh? I, w I didn't. I will. It's great. It's, it's the movie that if if I could if I could take any movie in history and say I made that it would be that movie. It's a wonderful movie, and why don't people talk about it more? I don't know. And timelier than ever. Yeah, it still holds up. Style over recently. substance. Guilt. A, pick three. Hey, uh, just just a fuck over, Mister Weinstein. <laughs> I would have uh, The Swimmer showing 24 hours a day every part of the island I was on. What, but not so, Boys from Brazil? Uh, oh, well, I, I, I'd have a special weekend for Boys from Brazil. You also, you and Andy... Why is that man walking around in a swimsuit? Why is he circling the island constantly in a swimsuit? Put something on. I love how Kindler dozes off in the in the middle of every movie that you make him watch. Absolutely. Yeah. He only has partial wreck. Yeah. Partial I didn't, recall I didn't really everything. get through this one. I fell asleep four times. Yes. You're you're also not uh not a big fan of the nutty professor. You know what? I really am not at all. No. It's, Fuck uh, you. I know. Fuck I knew you, that. you Jew I, piece of as, shit. As he said that, I knew this is not going to be popular. See, this, this is, is going to be popular. The world hates the Jews. <laughs> this is not going to be a popular opinion here on the Gilbert Gottfried Show. <laughs> <laughs> Gilbert just likes him because he was always nice to Gilbert personally. Yeah. Good. I hope that's good. You're the one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get some plugs in here. The, the documentary is coming out. It's coming out. Michael DeBar, I Need You to Kill, will come out this year. Uh, I'm Michael DeBar, Who Do You Want Me to Be, rather, is yep. coming out this year. Yep, yep, yep. I Need You to Kill is on Amazon Prime. Yes, I Need You to Kill, also very funny. Uh, should we plug the Cinematic Titanic on Shout Factory, since you work so hard on them? Sure, Cinematic Titanic DVDs are, there's like 12 movies, and it's like really cheap. It's worth getting. There's a shit ton of jokes there. Right. Uh, Thought Spiral podcast, of course. Yes, Thought uh, Spiral, very funny. And for people and who like the kind of crazy shit that we talk about, it's the only yeah, podcast I've ever I've ever listened to where they're talking about Foster Brooks and uh, and uh, Mr. Jaws. Well, being as a fellow comics comic wrangler like yourself, yeah, I can, I can relate. It's what <laughs> I knew we had something in common. <laughs> and what's the horse movie? Uh, the horse movie is called The Fiddling Horse, and it uh, it should be out. Uh, it looks like at the end of uh, the summer it'll be out. And you'll Sorry, be Dan, you'll Andy be teaching Kindler. comedy to Asian models in Cosby's place. Absolutely, yeah. and someone, you'll be someone saying, needs to pick up the good work that he's doing. Hey, Wing Chang, you want to say the same? You pull, you pull up your pants before you tell the dick joke. <laughs> All right, we're going to end on a little experiment, Josh. Okay. You don't know this actor by name, but you're going to know him and recognize him as soon as you hear Gilbert's impression. So close your eyes. Okay. This is John MacGyver. See if you can place him. Everything must be run according to schedule. <laughs> we will have no slackers in this organization. 
Yes, I can picture a face. I hope it's right. Big, Let's just say it is. Chubby bald guy, midnight cowboy. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Look you got a strong. Don't make me do it. Don't make me. Do. Go to <laughs> Look him up. He's in we, everything. Okay, yeah. but but uh, but please one more time. Hey, Hervé, I hear Tom Selleck is like cleaning up with the pussy. <laughs> I don't know. I Tom Selleck gets all the pussy, and I don't. I I can't believe it's just because he is the most handsome man in the world and he's six foot five and I'm an inch tall and look like a troll that I don't get the pussy that Tom Selleck gets. <laughs> Josh, Josh have, you, you. have you heard uh, Hervé Villachez in Scent of a Woman? <laughs> no, I'd like to hear it. Your name is Daphne. I could tell because I hear the southern accent and I smell the perfume. <laughs> Thanks for doing this, man. Thank you so much for having me. We got to thank that. our mutual friend Fanny Cohen for uh, thank you, Fanny, for suggesting this and setting us up. I think we were a good marriage. I enjoyed the hell out of it. Thank you. Thanks, Josh. So this has been Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. And our guests tonight didn't like the nutty professor or the swimmer. So to him, Jay Elvis Weinstein, <laughs> go fuck yourself. <laughs> That's my new ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Josh. Thank, Thank you. you, guys. Awesome. Thanks. There was a guy named Joel. Nothing different from you or me. He worked at Gizmonic Institute. Just another face in a red jumpsuit. He did a good job cleaning up the place. But his boss didn't like him, so they shot him in the space. Godfrey's Amazing Colossal Podcast is produced by Dara Godfrey and Frank Santapadre, with audio production by Frank Verderosa. Web and social media is handled by Mike McPadden, Greg Pear, and John Bradley Seals. Special audio contributions by John Beach. Special thanks to John Fodiatis, John Murray, and Paul Rayburn. <laughs> <laughs>